Welcome to GovCast. I am your host, Managing Editor Amy Kluber. This episode is sponsored by Accenture. Artificial intelligence is perhaps among the most talked about emerging technologies in government right now. It has many promises and impacts in terms of how agencies will be able to analyze or collect data, how workers work, and how government serves its customers, among other things. For Accenture Federal Services Chief Technology Officer Dominic Del Molino, this area is a huge focus alongside an upcoming report exploring the technology in government. Let's hear it from him. Dominic, thanks so much for joining us on GovCast. Great to have you. Thanks. Great to be here. On the topic of AI, this is a big area that you are focusing on in your role. How would you describe the state of AI in government today? So we're doing a wide variety of things with artificial intelligence, but we, before embarking on some of our real in-depth implementation and advisory type work, we wanted to talk to our clients and understand exactly where they are with artificial intelligence. And so when we did this podcast series last summer, we surveyed a large number of senior government officials to understand and learn what they were doing, what they've learned from their implementations of AI. And we got a wonderful range of answers, some things that were really inspiring, exciting, and some things to think about and obstacles people have to overcome. And across the board, it was amazing how much we learned from that series from a wide variety of agencies, from our friends to the north in Canada, from the Defense Department, from the Science Foundation, from Citizens and Immigration Services. Across the board, we had people talking to us about their experiences, what worked well and what didn't work well. And learning about how AI could be done in government really informed us as we put together the best ways for us to offer services to our clients around implementing and figuring out what to do with artificial intelligence. What would you say surprised you the most? I was really surprised at the way government is thinking about AI as another member of their workforce and how that gets integrated with their current workforce. And so how do I train and let my current workforce figure out the best way to interact and oversee and evaluate the performance of their AI brethren, if you will. And also that the AI needs to be trained over and over again like a human does in many ways. So when we change policy or when we change a new system, now I've got an AI workforce that needs to be updated and modified so it's doing what we want it to do. So you also host a podcast on AI specifically. Go into your role at Accenture in tandem with doing this podcast. What are you focusing on? What are some of your roles and priorities? Yeah. So as the chief technology officer for Accenture Federal Services, my role is really to look at emerging technology as it appears within the technology ecosystem. And it's an exciting job because the pace of technical change is just accelerating daily. And so when new technologies appear, it's my job to evaluate those technologies, see if they're applicable to government activities or government missions. And usually that's fairly easy because the government in many ways performs lots of different functions. And there's many ways that a, a commercial AI capability or commercial technology capability might be applicable to government. And so what I do is evaluate those technologies as they appear, determine what kind of agencies have a good need for that kind of tech, whether there's good mission fit. And then from an Accenture point of view, how are we prepared to best advise our clients on what technologies to choose and how to implement them? So you're pretty much at the forefront of the technology. I mean, you're getting down in the trenches with this and trying to figure out the best practices and how agencies can make best use of it. Where do you see AI growing in the federal government? 
I think we're going to see AI growing in the ways that it allows government workers to be freed of what we call dirty, dangerous, and dull work and allows them to get more of their time back so they can work on complex and complicated problems and even spend more time with constituents or their mission working on kind of those creative areas where the human mind really excels. And so the ability to remove that kind of drudgery work from the government worker of today is something I'm really excited to see how we open up people to be able to be more creative and apply their their real energy to solving mission problems and serving citizens. So some of these insights you have outlined in an upcoming report. In that report, you highlight some of the perspectives that you spoke with on your podcast. Are there any areas in which you feel like there are agencies that could make better opportunities for AI? Is there anyone who just still doesn't quite understand it and maybe wants to grow? So while we had several agencies on our show that were advanced in how much they had done with AI, we also had a lot of people who were interested in how to get started. And so one of our episodes had uh, two presidential innovation fellows who were talking about a playbook for how to get started with AI in government. And many of our folks on the show also talked about some of the groundwork that needed to be in place in order to have an effective AI campaign or AI initiative. The best example I think of that was Dr. Mona Siddiqui from HHS, the chief data officer there. And she talked a lot about data literacy and making sure data was available for AI to be trained against and to effectively leverage data that they had at their core. Suzette Kent also emphasized that point in saying data literacy was an extremely important component of an effective AI program. This is so we can make sure when we train an AI agent that it's doing it off the best non-biased, comprehensive data set we can provide to it so it makes great decisions. In your role at Accenture, where do you see the importance that a partnership with industry provides government? So in our role as a systems integrator at Accenture, we have deep connectivity to many of the leading technical firms around the world. As a federal component of a worldwide consulting firm, we can draw on that expertise wherever it occurs in the world. And so we have the ability to get early access to where technology is going, the most effective ways to implement it. And we work closely with our industry partners on the commercial side to understand where is the market going, what new technologies are appearing. And so we really serve as that advisory and best of breed implementation partner that takes the technology from commercial and makes it available to federal government agencies. What do you see the biggest roadblock to be in this area for federal agencies? Many of our guests on the show talked about some of the concerns their current workforce had when being exposed to new technology. How's it going to change their job? Are they still going to have the ability to do what they want to do from a passionate perspective? And will they be able to have a say in how these technologies are implemented? And so not addressing that can be an obstacle to adoption. And we saw some agencies struggle with that where they didn't involve the workforce in that technology rollout. And the ones that were successful, many of them referred to this kind of skin in the game process where many of the people in the government workforce had a seat at the table to determine and shape how that technology was going to be applied for their job and for their mission. So shifting the focus a bit on the workforce, do you think the workforce itself is ready for this? One of the survey results that Accenture has done actually looked at what the workforce feels about their readiness to adopt new technologies, and in this case specifically AI. What we found is most government workers were really excited about the opportunity and were looking for training and were asking for the opportunity to get up to speed on these new technologies. 
Most of them said they hadn't quite gotten the training that they were looking for, but we know there's a hunger and desire there to get that training, and they're excited about the opportunity that these new technologies provide. So diving into your personal story for a little bit, you got your undergraduate degree in computer science, but you recently went back to get a master's in data sciences from Berkeley. Why did you go back to school? There were several reasons I decided to go back to school. And in many ways, the technology landscape has made it easier for people to do this. And so I was looking at how data science was emerging as a technology trend. And the ability to understand data very well seems to be affecting many different kinds of technologies and the way we implement technology and apply it to our problems. And so I said, you know, maybe it's a good time to get a refresher on that. What's the current state of the art here compared to my undergraduate degree from 20 to 30 years ago? So how can I get up to speed quickly? And when I investigated options for this, I was really excited to see some of the new advancements in distance learning, video learning. And I was able to go to University of California at Berkeley in an online fashion for a full master's program. And that was done with the latest in video classroom technology. This was my professor and other students in that kind of video chat room, if you will, we saw everyone. The professor would call on us as we were in class. And, you know, it was the actual experience of actually going to that kind of curriculum and education experience, but not physically being there. So to me, it was amazing what could be accomplished there. And I learned a lot about what's being done in data science to help people become more literate around data and what data to choose and whether data is good. Because if we're going to use data to train our AI coworkers, if you will, we want to understand it well enough to understand how we're training the AI with that data. So for me, it was a great experience and it was exciting. And, and I'm a lifelong learner. So that for me, that was the opportunity to do that while still being here in Washington, D.C. was just you know, super exciting. How is that excitement translating over into your role at Accenture? So in addition to being a lifelong learner, I love teaching and helping people understand how to work with new technology. And so I love doing that with my clients where I sit down and talk with them about what the technology can and can't do and what's the best way to use it. But I also do that internally. As, as the chief technology officer, I want to make sure our 10,000 delivery consultants are well prepared to effectively implement technology for our clients. And so for me, watching that kind of teaching experience and learning what they emphasize from an academic perspective allowed me to turn around and provide the same perspective to our clients. And more importantly for me, in many ways, our employees, because if our employees effectively understand new technology, now we have a huge force multiplier. It's not just me talking to a client, but thousands of people that I get a chance to talk to and train internally to say, this is the best way to implement this new technology that's emerging. So tell me more about the Accenture Federal Digital Studio. So we have a digital studio presence in downtown Washington, D.C., and the first iteration of that studio space was about human-centered design. How do we bring people together to imagine what the future might look like for a particular agency activity? And we brought in human design experts who would really go through an innovation process to help people imagine what's possible. And that first iteration had a lot of this kind of collaborative design thinking and collaborative, innovative thought process. When we went through a second iteration of that studio, we added in the technology components so that next to that thought exercise, 
where the ability to display and show and feel and touch an actual implementation of what they came out of from their innovation session. And so we now have rapid prototyping of IT capabilities and application design. We have a data discovery lab that lets people play around with data and see how it might be presented to effectively implement one of these, these concepts. And so we feel like this fusion of human-centered design activities, rapid technology prototyping, and data analysis and data visualization really has a real powerful kind of mix for our clients to experience how they can get the most out of a company like Accenture. So what would you say AI looks like in that voice? I think artificial intelligence is fascinating because it is something we can imagine what it might do for us. And so one of the things we do in that design thinking process is open up the aperture to let people imagine what is possible when you have an assistant that could be available for everyone to effectively help them do their job more efficiently, more impactfully, and in many ways. And that's not just imagining it, but we need that technology. You know, how will the AI understand what I say? How will the AI ask for help? How will I oversee how well the AI is doing? How will it present its results in a way that is understandable for me? Can it explain its decision in a way that makes me feel comfortable with it? Can I correct it? And so all this at the front end is how do I interact with that AI? And that's why we've seen many agencies who bring the workforce in early have much more success when they go through an AI approach. But then we also want to show them all the different technology. Can AI understand my voice? Can it read the smile on my face? Can it read the email I just sent to it, right? And so what technologies are available for AI to interact with us? And then when AI presents its decision, we want to say, is this easy for someone to understand? Does it make sense? Is it explainable? Are they showing me what data they use to come up with that result? And so that's why AI kind of crosses all of the capabilities we have in our studio. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little also about some of the cyber and security aspects of this, you know, to make sure that the AI hasn't been compromised in any way. You want to make sure that it's basing its decision off data that hasn't been tampered with, right? So it's important because if we're going to trust the AI decision, we need it to be done in a way that adopts all of those capabilities, including the cyber dimension as well. Opening the aperture, as you said, to more of the federal government, what is the biggest challenge overall that you think federal agencies face? I think the biggest challenge that agencies face is related to their ability to leverage appropriate data to have AI do a function in an appropriate way. And so we really saw this from the chief data officers we've been hearing from. Government agencies are often mandated by law to collect certain kinds of data. Then That data may not always be as effective as is necessary to implement AI. And yet there are important privacy concerns about holding certain kinds of data as well. And so I really think this need to have a robust data strategy is something that needs to be in place for a government to get the most out of AI. And when that's not there, when there really isn't a cohesive or coherent data strategy, it's an obstacle to adoption. Recently, we heard about the high-profile JEDI Award with the Defense Department. Do you think cloud computing has finally won in government? It's been fascinating to watch the evolution of government's adoption of cloud computing. And I think you're right to mention JEDI as a seminal moment here where we've seen one of the largest consumers of IT stating that there's now a way to effectively move forward with cloud computing. And it demonstrates a certain level of commitment and kind of authorization and confidence, if you will, that cloud computing is ready for government. And we've seen many ways that the cloud computing providers 
have changed and altered their capabilities for the security concerns, for the performance concerns of the government around having you know, their IT capability in a cloud environment. And so I think it's where industry has been going for a long time because cloud computing and IT infrastructure is a commodity kind of service now that we want to make sure that that's not where government focuses its time, but focuses it more on the mission. And so if cloud computing can make IT infrastructure, something that we just set it and forget it, if you will, then I think we're going to have much more time to spend on some of the mission activities that that agencies and in particular the Department of Defense are you know, trying to really emphasize. So embracing an agile DevOps framework typically goes hand in hand with cloud adoption. Are there any best practices in making this shift that you've noticed? So as we've seen agencies go through this kind of cloud adoption journey, many times people have started out with simply just picking up their current applications and infrastructure and and lifting and shifting it into the cloud. And that's a fine way to get started. But we see agencies that are really reaping the benefits of cloud by refactoring their applications once they're in the cloud. Because the cloud environment is so flexible, I have the ability to remove components, add components, test new things, and I have that kind of elastic place where I can try stuff, turn it on, turn it off, see if it works, see if it doesn't. And so when I talk about those terms, see if it works, see if it doesn't, those bring to mind a lot of the agile and DevOps concepts of a continuous learning environment where I try something and I get a lesson of how well it works or how well it doesn't or whether or not it's effective. And then I learn from that in my next iteration. And so to do that quickly, to learn as fast as I can, I need an ability to do an agile and DevOps style of development that lets me have that kind of regular cadence. And done well, I also include the security assessment throughout the process. So I'm not breaking stuff. I know there's there's these ideas, you know, go fast, break things. That's not the way I would emphasize or represent Agile DevOps for government. Agile DevOps for government is learning what works, highlighting it so other people will do it, and continuing to have that security presence throughout so that if I try something, I know I'm doing it in a safe manner, but I'm learning rapidly. And my citizens, my government workforce, they expect that applications get updated frequently and that they're getting the latest features and the bug fixes are being done rapidly, right? So they have that expectation already and they're used to it on their personal devices. We should do the same in government. And I think DevOps and an agile mindset really make that happen. Besides AI, what other disruptive tech should we be paying most attention to? So one of my personal favorite disruptive technologies is quantum computing. And I realize that's talking about something that is probably way in the future for most people to think about. However, the concept of what might be possible with these super powerful computers that can be in two places at once, if you will, from the quantum concept, really opens up exciting possibilities. And I think there's a real opportunity for people to learn about the ways quantum computing can be applied to particular problems, a whole new concept of computer science and how people will have to learn how to program these machines effectively. And so for me, that's an exciting new frontier. And I think the government has seen that as well. When you look at the commitment to fundamental research that the U.S. government is placing on quantum quantum computing from the National Quantum Initiative, it's clear that the government is accepting a responsibility for that kind of research and really pushing forward with that and emphasizing it. So for me, that's as a technologist, watching the government make a technology investment like that, 
you know, it, it, it has me giddy and excited, if you will. Are you giddy and excited enough to go out and get a quantum computing degree when you go back to school? <laughs> you know, it's funny you ask that because I have looked at as, as a lifelong learner, you know, what's the next thing I could spend time learning? And for me, yeah, the, the idea of quantum information science seems like a brand new field and understanding what can be done in this space is something that excites me. So, yeah, if I get the opportunity to extend my educational activities, I think that's an area I'll spend some time on. Thanks so much for joining us, Dominic. It was a pleasure to have you and learn about all these things. And I will be looking out for the report and some of your upcoming efforts on the podcast. Thank you so much. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. GovCast is produced by Amy Kluber. It is edited by Resonate Recordings. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. <laughs>